All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see each of you here this morning. We trust that the uh, time that we share together in worship and the Word will be an encouragement to your heart today. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time and would like to uh, make contact with us in any uh, kind of tangible fashion, there's a connection desk right out front. You can uh, give any information about yourself, any contact that you would like from any of the pastoral team members, and we can be sure to get that done. Uh, also, there is a sign-up sheet out in the foyer for a baptism service. So we have, uh, in our church family, we practice believer's baptism according to the book of Acts. So if you've trusted Christ and have never uh, professed that faith in Christ in the waters of baptism, we want to encourage you uh, to prayerfully consider uh, participating in that service. We'll be announcing a date for that right now, just getting an idea of who's interested in participating in that service, which is always a wonderful blessing. If you are planning to attend our new attendees luncheon next Sunday, we need to be sure that you sign up for that so that we know how to prepare for that uh, event. And then the other announcement is that the teens will be meeting here tonight. So if it's uh, junior, senior high, uh, we're meeting here tonight at six o'clock for our youth ministry time this week. So I think those are the main announcements that we need to be aware of. I want to read for you a brief text from the book of Ephesians. And this is Paul contemplating on the glories of Christ, on the beauties of the gospel, and uh, just a kind of a wellspring of joy that's coming. He says, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources... He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then here's the goal of that prayer. That by the spirit, you may have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide and how long and high and deep is his love for you. So our prayer this morning as we go into our season of corporate worship, as we stand to sing and proclaim in song, our prayer is that the love of Christ would become clear to you, that you would grasp that love in a fresh way. If you've never trusted Christ, you would see that there's hope for you in spite of what your background is. There is forgiveness and freedom and a new relationship with God. And if you already know Christ, we pray that the truth of singing God's love, his grace, his favor in Jesus, his son, uh, would deeply encourage your heart and transform you in some way today, okay? I wanna ask you to stand with me this morning as we pray, and then we're going into our season of worship and song. Our Father, this morning as we uh, come into your presence, uh, we trust that your spirit, as Paul prayed, would make us capable of grasping truths that lie well beyond our just simply mental activity. Uh, Lord, it is truth that you long to make clear to us by your spirit. And uh, Lord, not only in our minds, but in our hearts, allow us to know, to sense, to lay hold of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Also, Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes, illuminate them so that we can grasp more fully and more clearly the glorious love that you have for each one of us. We also pray, Lord, that as uh, the Grief Share program begins this week, that your blessing would rest on Fran and Laura, and that there would just be a, a beautiful ministry coming out of that uh, Grief Share evening uh, that ministers to the hearts of people who, has who have lost loved ones and also need to be assured of your love and your grace. Now, Lord, as we sing to you now, 
I pray that our hearts will be full of joy. I pray that our singing will be uh, empowered by your spirit and that we will sing truths that become clear to us as we sing them of the glories and of the beauties of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these blessings in his beautiful name and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Let's worship him together. Saved me, buried. 
for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at Thank you. 
alone can rescue, you alone can see, you alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death, to you alone belongs the highest praise, to you alone belongs the highest praise.
Lord. Rely then on his precious blood. Don't fear your banishment from God. Since Jesus set you free. that uh, this morning for what we're going to hear that you would just impress in our hearts the importance of that and that you would just move us to um, just greater and greater joy in your son and what he's done for us and we pray or we uh, thank you for this time and pray these things in Christ's name amen good morning brothers and sisters can you good morning brothers and sisters um, I have the privilege of introducing uh, one of the uh, missionaries that we support here at the chapel. We are dedicated as a leadership team to support missionaries all over the world and to bring, the, uh, uh, to bring Christ to uh, around the world. And uh, so I have the pleasure of introducing Joey Sforza, who works to, worked for 12 years at Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, who later became crew and now is working with international students at the campus of Stevens Tech and reaching these students so that they, when they go to their country or they talk to their families, Christ can be brought over all over the world. Uh, he, has, uh, uh, he has a story to tell, and I'm gonna let him tell the story, and it's a great pleasure to bring out Joey Sforza. All right, test, test, beautiful. Wow, I feel like a rock star, even though I'm not a rock star. It's, uh, I joked with Donnie, Danny, D 
Donnie. I joked with Donnie. I was like, this is great. I'm Italian. I could use my hands freely. I don't have to just use one with the microphone. But um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that introduction, Brother Ed, Pastor Tim. Thanks for having me. Um, super, super thankful for your partnership in the gospel. The chapel at Warren Valley. Do you get confused a lot with the other one? Chapel, Jacksonville Chapel. <laughs> the better chapel. Thank you so much for your partnership in, uh, in the gospel. I do have a whole talk, a whole sermon that I, that I am going to give on how to be on mission. I'm going to share from the word and everything. But uh, real quick, just want to share some, some background, backstory with you. Um, as well as share about the call to ministry and the ministry itself. A um, bit about me, I grew up in a sliver of a town in urban Hudson County called Guttenberg, New Jersey. Anyone ever been through Guttenberg? Raise your hand, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of people know. It's right by North Bergen, West New York, Weehawk, and that whole area. My parents, fun fact, my parents happen to be immigrants, old world, old school Italian immigrants. You would think they just got off the boat in like 1920, but uh, they came here in the late 80s. And uh, my, my wife's family, her parents are from the small Central American country of El Salvador. Any Salvadorians in here? No, it's all right, it's cool. So we get the best food from, from Central America and then, and then Italy. Got three little kids, um, 11, 10, and five. And uh, although my parents were Italian, my uh, mom happened to be a strong Bible-believing Protestant believer because her mother, my nonna in Italy, happened to be a strong Bible-believing Protestant believer. And that went on actually, that went on back a few generations, the matriarchs of the family just passing on the torch of the gospel, being on mission for their family. And uh, growing up, I was, you know, I was in and out of different churches, um, but I had a, a praying mom who, who did the best in the situation she found herself in. I have memories of, of my mom just weeping, and I'd ask, Mom, why are you crying? She's like, I'm, I'm praying that the Lord would win your heart. I'm praying that the Lord would win yours and your four older siblings. And I also have memories of my mom telling me about my grandmother, my nonna in Italy. I didn't grow up with her, but her staying strong for Christ so that her kids could come to faith. And so I didn't fully understand the gospel and I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was 13. Before then, I would say I had two tainted views of the gospel. And again, I was, I was only, did I say 14, 13? And it depended on the season of uh, the season I was in. On the one hand, I would describe it as sort of default salvation, automatic salvation. Okay, because my mom's a believer, I'm automatically a believer. You know, I could do no wrong in God's eyes. He would sweep the wrong I do under the rug, right? He's like the great grandpa in the sky. I could do no wrong before him. And I believed that probably until I was like five, six. And then when I started doing bad things and knowing I was doing bad things, I sort of swung the pendulum in the other direction. And I would say I believed in moralism, legalism, that I needed to sort of outweigh the, the bad things, the sin I did with good things in order to earn salvation, in order to earn God's love. And so I finally heard the true gospel about Christ living the perfect life I could not live, Christ dying the death I should have died, paying the penalty for my sins, and then Christ rising again, validating that work, and then offering it to me so that I could be forgiven of my sins and placed into right relationship with him. I heard that at a youth retreat in the eighth grade. Again, I was 13, and I really came to faith in Christ. I really, really did. 
And it was then when I immediately had this desire to do student ministry. I didn't know what to call it, but I just knew that there were non-Christians at my school, in my classes that needed to hear the gospel. I was plugged into my church's youth group. I remember one of the first things I did with my, with my best friends at the time was share with them what I knew about the rapture to try to scare them into believing. And uh, I, I've changed since then, thankfully. And so I, I, you know, that was eighth grade in high school. I got plugged into this independent student ministry called the Bible club. We couldn't think of a better name. So we just kept it the Bible club, but you know, the Lord used it. And then in college from 2006 to 2010, I was plugged into as a student, I was plugged into crew, fell in love with, with the campus ministry world. That's where I met, um, the Chiara family. Are they here? Carmelo and Kristen? No, no, they're not here. So they were involved also. And, um, yeah, fun story. Kiara is my sister's first name and my, my other nonna's first name as well. So anyway, met them there. And uh, in May of 2010, don't do this. I got married, graduated college, and then joined staff with a full-time ministry, right? And so that month was huge. And so for 12 years, I was doing this in Jersey. And then about two years ago, the Lord started stirring in us a desire to get a little more focused in our in our campus ministry world. He did this through uh, two people. One was an elder at my church named Tim Sigmund. Uh, he had been on staff with International Student Ministry um, for years, ISI, the one I am on staff now, um, the one I'm on staff now with, with now, uh, International Students Incorporated. And I just saw God do amazing things through him, you know, started asking questions, but he also did this through a student named Roman, also goes by, well, he goes by Roman. His real name is Raja Patel. Roman started coming out to the weekly meetings at his school at Hudson County Community College, came from a Hindu background, and he just wanted to learn about Christianity. So he, he recognized, oh, there's a Christian group on campus. I'm going to start coming out. And he wanted to make friends. Um, this was a really unique experience to have someone from a Hindu background come out regularly. And he kept coming out. I mean, COVID shut things down for a few months. He and I struck up a friendship. So, you know, he texted me personally. Hey, let me know when things um, come back on on campus. And let me know if there's anything else I can come to. So I invited him to my church. We got to know each other there as well. And um, he heard the gospel again and again and again. About a year after uh, first meeting Roman. So this was early 2021. Um, I just had a direct conversation with him. I was like, hey, like, what do you believe about everything you're hearing in, in these meetings? He's like, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm a Hindu Christian. I was like, well, that's not exactly how this works. You know, can't just make Jesus one of your many gods. And um, he asked me to just respect that. He's like, well, I'm a Hindu. I'm a devout Hindu. I'll always be a Hindu. And Jesus is just one of my many gods. And so we had pretty plain, explicit conversations about what Christianity is, what the gospel is, how those are incompatible. But he's like, this is just what I believe. And so I kept praying for Roman and he kept coming out. I mean, he came to not only the weekly meeting at his school, he came to a retreat we once had. Uh, he came to, um, again, our church. I asked him, I was like, do you go to Hindu temple? He's like, no, they're all, they're all hypocrites over there. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay. He didn't like his local one, but in November of 2021, he once again heard the gospel at his campus's weekly meeting. And a week later, he texts me. He's like, hey, I want to renounce Hinduism and place my faith fully in Christ. So excited. Praise the Lord for that. And so, yeah, you could clap for that. 
And so I, I uh, set up a, a meeting with him, my pastor. We affirmed him in his decision. In uh, May of 2022, I got to baptize or assist in his baptism. I actually got to dunk him in the water and held him under a little longer. And um, it was great. And so it was through this story, although that happened you know, while I was on staff with crew, that kind of relational evangelism is really common in the international student ministry world. And that'll make more sense as I explain um, how, how this all works. And so we made the jump and it really is different, right? So in crew, I was on five campuses in North Jersey, working mainly with American Christian students, the leaders of those campuses, coaching them to do the work on those campuses, certainly come along, coming alongside them, but giving them as much ownership as possible. Whereas now I'm at one campus working mainly with non-believing international students, right, doing a lot of the work myself along with uh, church volunteers. Some statistics, about one million international students come to the United States every year, one million. 60% of that 1 million are from the 1040 window. The 1040 window are what fancy theologians know as one of the most unreached parts of the world, right? This is 40 degrees north of the equator, 10 degrees south of the equator from North Africa all the way over on to uh, India. And it's one of the most unreached parts of the world. More statistics, about 75% of these international students, although they're here for two years, four years, depending on their program, they are never invited into an American's home. And then 80% have never been to a Christian church. Now think about that. We as Americans rightly send missionaries to, well, all over the world, but especially the 1040 window. We, we recognize it is one of the most unreached places, one of the most unchristian places in the world. And if we are to reach the world, world with the gospel, we should go to all the world. And those missionaries, when they go there, they have to be super covert, super secretive, right? At best, they might be reported and, and deported um, back here. And then the mission ends, or at worst, they, they may end up being killed for the gospel. And yet here we have 60% of these 1 million coming from this 1040 window. Here we can explicitly share the gospel without fear of the kind of persecution that they get in these parts of, of the world. And so it really is a strategic area to focus our attention. Now, how we go about this is simply a three-part strategy. Uh, it's evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. And so evangelism... We tell students about Jesus, right? We're, we're not doing bait and switch. I'm, I was telling the, the Sunday school earlier. We, we're not doing bait and switch. They know we're a Christian group on campus for international students. How we tell them about Jesus, we do in a number of ways. One of the first ways is hospitality, right? We're big on hospitality. And one of the ways we do hospitality the most is through a weekly dinner. And so on campus, we host a weekly dinner. In my case, that's Stevens Institute of Technology. Every Friday night, we have a church partner bring in a full-on dinner. Most of it is home-cooked, and so students love that. Sometimes we'll order food, especially if it's a particular cultural food that we can't necessarily make. So this past Friday, we had empanadas, so we had Hispanic represented, we had... Uh, uh, Indian foods, I'm forgetting the names, and then we had Chinese noodles. And so the students love that. And so we're serving a full-on dinner 
but it's not just a dinner. We're also doing a Bible study, right? And so because these are mostly non-believing students, it's really basic stuff, right? Sunday school level stuff, new believer, again, un- unbeliever level stuff. This Friday we did worldview. What's your worldview? What's Christianity's worldview? The rest of the semester, we're just going to take them through the life of Jesus. Who was Jesus? What did he do? What does it mean? Super simple. 10-minute presentation. Then we do a Q&A. Um, and so that's the, the main way we're doing hospitality. We also will help them with assimilation and culture shock. Uh, a lot of the students, if you were to come to the weekly meeting, most of them just got here a month, month and a half ago, right? Just new to the States. Um, many of them are experiencing culture shock, loneliness. We were able to organize a culture shock seminar all in Mandarin through a local partner, uh, partner church, all in Mandarin. And uh, what they did was not only did they present all these, you know, ideas and principles on, you know, how to deal with culture shock, they also ended with preaching the gospel. It was pretty awesome. So we'll help them with that. In a few weeks, we're probably going to offer, hey, does anyone need to go to Walmart or Burlington to buy a coat? Because we know you didn't bring one, right? These kinds of things just to help them out. We also organize home visits during the major uh, American holidays. And uh, one thing we're trying this year is monthly home visits where Christians will open up their homes and we organize this as staff and we just plug in a few students in each house, right? And then they get to go over their home, have a meal. Um, Certainly we're doing on-campus events. Uh, This is where we partner with the main campus ministry uh, and we just come alongside them. But we also do what I'm starting to call field trips, right? We wanna just be good. Uh, show them good Jersey hospitality and take them all, all around, right? So in the summer, they went on a deep sea fishing trip. We took them down to the Jersey shore and showed them uh, seaside heights, the boardwalk down there. That was fun. And we're now organizing a farm trip, apple picking, pumpkin picking. Again, just show them American Christian hospitality. And so that's evangelism. We're also doing discipleship. You know, one of the main ways we do discipleship is making sure that we are connected well and in relationship with local churches so that as the few Christian students from around the world get plugged into our ministry, they can get plugged into a local church and the church will do what what the church is supposed to do and help to, to disciple them, right? And then, of course, as someone comes to faith in Christ, we want them getting plugged into a local church so that they can grow. And certainly there's, there's definitely sort of typical discipleship with a staff, uh, with staff. Um, as a staff member, I'm always trying to surface the mature student leaders who I should invest more time in and actually meet with one-on-one. Um, the weekly dinners themselves are opportunities for discipleship as we go through the word. And then we do regional and national student conferences. Ultimately though, The third part of the strategy is multiplication. Uh, This is where we want them, as they come to Christ, right, as they make commitments, we want them to serve for the cause of the gospel and multiply their faith wherever they end up, right? Um, The worship leader was praying this, right? Missions can be anywhere, in the workplace, right? In their home countries, especially in the 1040 window. Who better to, to reach these places than people from these places, in their neighborhoods, with their families, right? We want to multiply the gospel through the ministry for years to come as much as possible. And so we're excited. We're really, really excited about this new ministry. It's a a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways. We're we're thankful for 
um, our history with crew, but we're also super excited and looking forward to this, to this new season. And I want to explicitly, once again, thank you. Thank you, the chapel of Warren Valley for partnering with us, not only when we were on staff with crew, but now you have followed us as we took this huge step of faith. You have followed us as, as we follow Christ in this new season. And so now on to the word. One of the things that bugs me is I think oftentimes we as lay Christians, and I put myself in that category too, is we, uh, we inappropriately venerate missionaries, right? And even I, I'm a, I'm a domestic missionary, right? I live in Jersey. I was born and raised in Jersey, domesticated, domestic. I'm still here. Praise God. It's, it's uh, still missionary work. But even I, you know, when I hear about people really giving up everything and going overseas with their families, you know, even I, I, I think sometimes I inappropriately venerate them. And what I want to try to target today is the idea that we can be missionaries wherever we are. Now, they certainly deserve honor if they're giving up everything, going overseas. They certainly deserve a, a particular kind of honor. And yet, we're pretty far from Jerusalem, right? Jesus did say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And there are a whole lot of non-Christians around us in New Jersey to reach. And so what I want to do is focus on that, how you could be on mission some people debate this. You could be on mission, I'll say, not necessarily a missionary, but you could be on mission wherever you are. Now, how to do that, there's a lot of ways to answer that. And the, the one I'm going to zero in on is that we need to, as Christians, individually and in community, have a focus on what's known as the spiritual disciplines in our lives, right? This is not just a responsibility for our Christian leaders to help us focus on. This should be a responsibility for us individually and then certainly as a church. Now, discipline, right? Spiritual discipline sounds kind of boring, but it can be absolutely life-changing for you. Now, in my case, again, I got saved in the eighth grade and I'm thankful that ever since then, I have been growing either individually or in community, either intentionally or unintentionally through what's known as these spiritual disciplines. I have been growing closer and closer and closer to my savior, to my Christ, right? I've been growing more and more from glory to glory, right? My maturity has increased ever since I got saved. Now, what these spiritual disciplines are, like if you were to go to seminary, whole books have been written on the idea of spiritual disciplines. Sometimes people write whole books on one spiritual discipline, pretty intense stuff. For today, I just want to focus on four that I think are, are pretty crucial, right? If you as a believer, if you as a church are, are honing in on these four, it'll produce natural opportunities for you to be on mission wherever you are. It'll produce the uh, equipping and the motivation for you to be on mission wherever you are. For that, we're going to open up to Acts 2, 42 to 47. Again, Acts 2, 42 to 47. And uh, while you're going there and before you put it up on the screen, if you do that, let me give you some context as to why I chose this passage. So one thing you got to know is Acts is a narrative. It is the sequel to the other narrative of Luke, right? Written by uh, Luke. 
and it tells the story of Jesus, right? Luke tells the story of Jesus from his birth to his burial, to his death, to his burial, to his resurrection. And then Acts tells the story of the disciples, right? And what they were doing. So you got to remember some, some books of the Bible are, are letters written by someone to someone else. This is a narrative from Luke through Acts. And at this point in the narrative, Jesus had already finished his earthly work of salvation, right? He lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. He rose again, right? And so Acts 2, 42 to 47 is after that, right? He already resurrected and hung out with his disciples. Imagine you were hanging out with the risen Christ, holes in hands and feet, holes in his side. You were hanging out with him. And at some point before this, while eating with them, imagine you're eating with the risen Christ. He says, hey, I'm going to leave you in a little while, but rather than freak out, I want you to go wait for the promise that the father said he would send you. That promise being the very person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life, right? The very power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. And then before this, in Acts 1, the ascension happens, right? Jesus ascended. Imagine you were there. Finally, your risen savior is hanging out with you. You're, you're enjoying fellowship with him after weeping over his death. People are, are slowly but surely realizing, oh, wow, he really is the Messiah. And then you're hanging out and suddenly, you know, maybe there's a field. He starts levitating. Jesus, what's going on? And levitating 10 feet. Not a David Blaine trick. And he just ascends into the clouds. He leaves. Now, I would have freaked out. Thankfully, they, they didn't. They did what he said. They went and waited. They went and waited, and they happened to be waiting in Jerusalem during a festival or a holiday called Pentecost. And so thousands of people were visiting the city, and in the beginning of Acts 2, something amazing happens. God fulfills his promise. God, the Holy Spirit, descends on and in his followers, and they just start speaking languages they did not study, languages they did not know, but languages that the visitors of the city knew, right? And so gringos were speaking perfect Spanish, Japanese were speaking perfect Portuguese, right? They were speaking languages they didn't know. Now, what they were saying was more important than the miracle of them actually pre preaching or saying things in a language they didn't know. What they were saying, Peter gets up in a, in a sweet sermon you could read on your own time right before this in Acts 2. Peter gets up and clarifies everything. What they were saying was the gospel. It's like, hey, we're not drunk. We're not crazy. God, the creator, promised he would send a Messiah. He did send a Messiah. Some of you saw him just months ago walking around doing miracles. That same Messiah did die. He was buried and he rose again, he ascended, and now he wants you to come to know him personally, repent of your sins and trust in him as savior. And then that, that day, 3,000 people placed their faith in Christ. And so the reason I choose this passage is because this is the church being born. And so Acts 2, 42 to 47 is the church, the church is now born and these are believers doing things together that are helping one another grow in their relationship with Christ. And so let me pray, and then I'll, I'll read the passage, and I'll draw out the four spiritual disciplines that I want to focus on. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is alive and that you still speak through your word. 
We thank you that you are not a quiet God. We thank you that we can learn so much about you. We can learn so much about us. We can learn so much about our our need to grow and, and be as be on mission as believers. And I just pray that as um, as I read your word, as I draw out some of these ways you have made it so that we can grow in our relationship, that you would motivate us, God, that you would motivate us to certainly focus on these ways, Lord, and that you would help us as a, as a church and also help us individually um, grow in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me read. <clears throat> And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, I'm going to draw out four. There are more spiritual disciplines. I'm just focusing on on these four. The first is the scriptures. The Bible itself, notice in verse 42... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles were not suddenly famous and developing their own self-help books, passing them out all around Jerusalem and asking people to devote their time to to those self-help books. No, that's not what was happening here. The apostles were teaching the scriptures. Now, the, the canon of the New Testament had not yet been developed, and so they were focused on the canon of the Old Testament, but they were certainly teaching the scriptures. They were reflecting on how Christ, the Messiah, was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the prophecies themselves and and the books as as a whole. And I want you to think about just the the beauty that we have, the Bible, right? The beauty of it. Think about how all the other world religions were formed, right? Typically, some solo prophet emerges from a cave after a few months, somehow survived on eating nothing, right? Emerges from a cave, claims he had an encounter with either the higher power or a messenger that was sent from the higher power. And then this solo individual says, this is the revelation that you need to live by, right? That's how a lot of other world religions base their belief. That's how a lot of other world religions, scripture is formed. And yet our God was smart enough and gracious enough to put together 66 books over a 1,500-year period, right? Our God, Yahweh, has interacted with hundreds, thousands of people throughout human history, right? And so some of the books of the Bible are encounters that, that people had with God, certainly. Others are accounts of historical accounts of God working through Israel, Others are letters written to believers about this same God. Some books of the Bible fall under the genre of poetry. All in all, our scriptures corroborate the story of our creator and and him sending a savior. It corroborates this story. It confirms that we serve the one 
true God. And not only that, it is the reason we know anything about the attributes of God. We don't know the attributes of God merely because someone told us. We know the attributes of God because he told us, right? We know he is all loving because he told us that. We know he is all patient. We know he is full of wrath for sin. We know he is omnipresent, all present. We know that he is all powerful because of the scriptures. God did not just create the world and, and sit on the throne making, laughing at us, making us wonder who he was, right? He wrote, like any good, strong, powerful person in history, he wrote an autobiography so that we would know who he is, what his plans are for us, so that we might hear from him, so that we might know him. And so not only should we as individual believers be, be studying the word, but communally we should be studying the word and hearing from God what it is he is saying again and again so that we can get to know him more and more. And so the second spiritual discipline here is prayer. Notice uh, they are devoted to prayer. Now that word devoted means commitment, right? They weren't praying once a month. Right, only they were praying all the time. They were committed and devoted to prayer as we should be. Now, defined simply, prayer is just talking to God, right? Prayer is communicating with God. You are using your voice, you are using your language, um, perhaps you are just weeping, right? And that is how you're communicating with Him, and God would understand what it is you are weeping about. Uh, and prayer doesn't need to be complicated or super formal either. My second son once prayed, and you get points if you know where this is from, but he prayed, God, you're bigger than the boogeyman. You're bigger than Godzilla. Jesus, we love you. Help us. Amen. He prayed that. Anyone know where that's from? Come on. Veggie tales. There you go. He prayed that and God heard him. Now, there are a few, few reasons I want to focus on that, that prayer is vital. Um, the first is over and over in scripture, God, the creator, Yahweh, pleads with us, hey, talk to me. Over and over, the creator says, talk to me, pray. I want to hear from you, right? Over and over again, God says this. In essence, what I like to say is he's making eye contact. He's a great listener. He wants to hear from you. And so one, re one reason we pray is because God actually wants to hear from us. It's to be obedient and actually communicate. So that's the first reason. Second reason is we are in a relationship with the living God, right? As Christians, we don't merely believe things, right? As Christians, we have a relationship with the living God through Christ. And therefore, you know, we know God personally. Imagine someone came to you and said, I know Al Pacino. Or I know Beyonce. For you trendy folk, younger folks in the room, I don't know. Imagine they said that to you and you're like, wow, you know Al Pacino? You know Beyonce? Can you get him on the phone? You know, organize a meeting with her? That would be great if I could meet Al Pacino or Beyonce. And they're like, well, I don't really know them. I've never met them. 
You might need to get this friend some help. <laughs> if they say they have a relationship with someone and they've never met them, they're not talking with them, right? And that is another reason why we ought to pray. We are in a relationship with the living God. He speaks to us through his word, right? And we ought to speak to him in prayer, right? Whether we are adoring him and, and praising him, whether we are confessing our sin, whether we are expressing thankfulness to him for what he has done in our life, whether we are making our requests known to him about ourselves or others, we ought to pray because we're in this relationship with the living God. A third reason we pray is to discern God's will. Now, there's a lot of, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of preachers out there who, you know, they fall in the word of faith camp. They, they kind of teach that you could demand God to do things, right? If you just have enough faith, you could demand that God takes away, you know, any sickness. Or if you have enough faith, you could demand that God provides any finances that you need. And the error they make is that, yes, God always answers prayer, but it might be no, <laughs> right? God always answers prayer. We ought to make our requests known to him, but it might be no. It certainly might be yes. And then the third is it, it might be later, but it is in prayer where we can discern what it is God's will. Um, you, you may be perfect, unlike me, but there's been times when I've made, not major decisions, but medium decisions, and I'm like, did I pray for that? It just felt awful, and I had to confess that to the Lord. And so it is in prayer, though, where we submit our ideas, our plans to the Lord, where we can discern his will. The third spiritual discipline here that allows us to be on mission is community. Notice in verse 46, it says this, they broke bread in homes. Now, this wasn't some kind of ancient tradition where they were like battering each other with bread loaves and breaking bread. What this means is they were enjoying meals together. They were enjoying meals together, break bread, right? They were enjoying meals together. And what I say is like one of the best ways to get to know someone is to have a meal with them, right? Take them out to dinner, invite them over to your home, enjoy a meal together. They were doing other things, selling you know, each other's possessions so that they can actually give to those who had need. They were in community. And what this means is, spiritually, we are all individually friends with Christ and we should grow in our friendships with one another. This doesn't mean that we have to be best friends with everyone in, in the church, but we should grow in our friendships with, with one another. And what happens is this becomes mutually beneficial because it helps us to grow in areas where the other person might be more mature, right? And you could help them grow in areas where you might be more mature because we're all at different levels. Now, some of you might think that this is like an overly simple uh, Spiritual discipline does seem like one, right? And yet the church itself is God's, is the gathering of God's people, right? The core of the gospel is that we know God personally through Christ. It is a relationship, right? The very Trinity itself is that God is one in three persons. He has been in relationship with himself since eternity past. We were created to reflect God's social nature. We were created to be social, to know and be known, right? To know Christ and be known by him, to know others and be known by him, which is why gathering together on a Sunday morning is so crucial and all the reverberations that come from that. How you doing? Oh, you need help this, this weekend. 
hey, let me tell you how, how the Lord handled this in my life. Community is crucial. That, that very dynamic, the very dynamic of community and the, and the dynamics that happen in community help us grow in Christ. And so finally, the fourth spiritual discipline is evangelism. Notice in verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily. Now, this wasn't just happening, right? God didn't control some kind of drone that was flying over Jerusalem and saying, okay, that person is now being mind controlled to go join the Christians, right? You were a Jew today, you were a Jew yesterday, now you're a Christian. You were a pagan, now you're a Christian. It didn't just, didn't just happen. The believers were rubbing shoulders with non-believers, right? Suddenly, you are a Christian, you're the nephew of someone who's a non-believer. You're the coworker of someone who's a non-believer. You're the neighbor of someone who's a non-believer. And day by day, as they are rubbing shoulders with non-believers and sharing the gospel, sharing about what just happened, what just took place, people were coming to faith in Christ. Now, the way I want to motivate you to, to focus on this spiritual discipline is a little, a little different. I think, unfortunately, we, we have an enemy who really likes to attack this area of most Christians' lives. And he does so through a number of lies. And so I want to just expose those lies and um, give you reasons not to, not to give in to them, right? And so the first is, many think of evangelism as this sort of dirty word, this dirty activity. You don't want to be associated with it. You know, you've seen the cults do it. They go door to door and annoy people all day. And, you know, now they're writing letters. I don't know if you've gotten a letter or, you know, they, they do all these. And, or maybe you've seen a believer do it in really arrogant or, or um, wrong, wrong ways, right? Aggressive ways. You know, I just don't want to be associated. I just want to be a cool Christian. And so you avoid it. And so my response to that is, is very simply... Evangelism is beautiful. It's so beautiful, even if it's messy, even if it's imperfect. You know, evangelism is beautiful. Since the time of Jesus, it has been the way people have come to faith in Christ. Believers decided again and again, generation after generation, to tell their kids about Christ, to tell their neighbors about Christ, to tell their bosses about Christ. And we stand on the shoulders of those giants 2,000 years later. It is the way people have come to faith in Christ. And so it's not dirty, it's beautiful. The second lie um, the enemy might whisper to you is you'll say, oh, I don't have time. So let, let others do it. This is why we support missionaries, right? Let, let the pastor do this. So, so often, you know, Christians come up to me and say, you know, I wish God would send somebody to my unbelieving family. I wish God would send somebody to my unbelieving coworkers. Man, Joey, I wish God would send somebody to my street. And God's like, you, right? You, I have sent you. And so my point here is certainly there may be times where you need to dedicate and, and cut out time in your schedule to share the gospel. But my point simply is that the Lord has given you a schedule 
and almost certainly you are rubbing shoulders with non-believers in your life. This doesn't mean that every day and every conversation you are, are bringing up the gospel, but it does mean you're looking for opportunities and even sometimes making opportunities. One of the easiest things I've done is, is ask people on Monday, how was your weekend? They'll ask you, Good. You know, how was your week? Oh, I went to church. Opens the door. They know you're a Christian, right? Opens the door right there. And then slowly but surely, you'll interact over time. Third lie is you'll say, well, I don't know what to say, right? I, I understand that the gospel is not only demonstration, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what the proclamation is. I'm, I'm not confident. Others have that gift, and certainly, you know, we, we are the body of Christ. There are people with the gift of evangelism. And there is certainly a gospel message. Kind of scary when Paul says, let anyone who preaches uh, a false gospel be accursed, right? I remember when I was an, a young Christian, I was like, I don't want to get this wrong. Don't want to be accursed. So there is a gospel message, but it's, but it's not a science, right? And my encouragement to you is that you can learn you can learn what to say. There are actual models of how to share your faith. The Roman road in the crew world, we use the four spiritual laws. There's the one verse evangelism. I'm sure your pastors and leaders here can train you in other ways um, in how to share the gospel. You could share the gospel through your testimony, different than a biography. Biography focuses on you. Testimony focuses on Christ, right? There's a lot of ways you can learn to share the gospel. And so these four spiritual disciplines, guys, they are key, right, to focus on individually and, and in community so that we could be on mission for the cause of the gospel. Bible, prayer, community, evangelism. Uh, some homework for you tonight, I'm sure you love homework, is ask yourself the question, how might the Lord want you personally to pursue growth in any one of these areas? And it'll look different for, for all of you, right? How might the Lord want you personally to pursue growth in any one of these areas? And then the second is, how might the Lord want to use you in the church to help others grow? And I know your pastor is loving that question right there, right? You could even talk to him about that and the other leaders as well. Now, I want to answer, to close, I want to answer this question for you. Why, why even focus on these? Again, it seems almost legalistic. It seems kind of boring. Why, why even be on mission? You know, and again, some of you are still, this, this sort of devout Christian life, this is for the uh, ministers of the gospel, the pastors, the missionaries. Lay, lay people don't necessarily need to, to focus on this. Now, one major reason we would not engage in the spiritual disciplines, and I want to make this point, one major reason we do not engage in the spiritual disciplines is to earn salvation. No, right? We don't add this to the Ten Commandments. We don't do the Ten Commandments to earn salvation. Salvation is a gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, right? So we're not doing this to earn salvation. We're not even doing this to earn God's love. To answer that, I want to open up to Philippians 3. 3 to 14. Again, Philippians chapter 3, 3 to 14. And it says this, kind of lengthy, but it drives home the point that I want to make briefly when I'm done reading it. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of he Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I hope you see it. If not, the reason we do this is Jesus, 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 Jesus. It is to know Jesus and to make him known. It is to know Jesus and to help others know him. I want to close with a quick story about, about my nonna, Angela. It means grandmother in Italian. So my, my nonna, as I shared earlier, the matriarchs go back a few generations. She uh, endured a lot of persecution is what I, what I have to call it, uh, at the hands of my grandfather. And, uh, you know, she would endure year after year after year. It was a different time. You know, they stayed together, but she knew she wanted to pass on the legacy of Christ to her children, you know, and simple things like taking them to church or reading the Bible to them were just not allowed. And she kept on for the cause of the gospel. And because of that, her nine children ended up walking with the Lord, including my mom. Because of that, you know, I get to walk with the Lord and I get to raise my children with my wife so that they may walk with the Lord. And although it may not be as dramatic, right, as that, this is what we are called to as well, to be on mission wherever we are, you know, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, so that the church may go on, so that Christ's kingdom may come. And we all can be part of that, no matter who we are. And so with that, let me pray to close. God, thank you so much that... You have given us a model um, so that we might be on mission, so that we might um, get to know you more and more and move on from glory to glory and grow in maturity and in all sorts of ways. 
but also, Lord, so that we can see others come to know you, so that we can be on mission in all sorts of ways, God, in New Jersey, wherever we end up living, whether here in this town or in the surrounding area, God. I thank you for the chapel at Warren Valley, Lord, and I just pray that you would continue to use every individual in this church uh, to be on mission and, and use the church as a community to be on mission as well. And uh, just pray this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Before the throne, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there, who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free.
my Savior and I one with himself, one with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood, my life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. Christ my Savior and my God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this message that we have today of um, what Joey had for us is that the, what we should be bringing back to you in evangelism is just a wellspring of adoration for what you have done for us in Christ. And God, I just ask that um, you, would, you would help us all to not coast, as we're all guilty of doing at times, but to utilize these um, disciplines and ways in which you've given us to just adore you more and to just gain joy in everything that you've done for us in Christ. So, God, I just ask that you would do for, <clears throat> excuse me, do that for us uh, this week as we think on these things and just increase uh, our adoration of you and build your uh, church as a function of that. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Have a nice week.